0: Good morning and welcome to Waking Up to Grace, full grace with nothing in its place. I'm Lenny and today I'm going to be talking about the the question of why is there still so much sin in what we call the church, the visible church. You know, we go, if we're attending a, a church somewhere and, you know, we have our, our friends and our fellowship within there and you always hear within the circles of, um, of still people struggling with a sin or or boasting innocent even or not even seeming to be aware of what they're doing when they sin um, and uh, you know we witness these things going on and many uh, many of many of us pious Christians would look at that in frustration be like, well what is going on here and why why is sin still so? Predominant in these in, in these places where we gather, and uh, you know we have to realize that uh, these are frustrations that the apostles had too, and then uh, that people amongst their gatherings um, had as well. And uh, you know when when the apostle Paul wrote to his churches or to the saints, he was he was aware that there's you know a, a visible church and an invisible church where. You know, the, the, the people with the hearts for God are are the ones that are visibly uh, displaying God's glory. And uh, sometimes, you know, there could be non believers among us and we don't even realize it. Uh, but the point being is let's just say, amongst believers, why is there still, why is sin still such a problem? So we're going to dig into that in this video and, and take a look at some several passages. We're going to look at uh, Corinthians. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at uh, um, some other areas uh, of scripture as well in Galatians, and then we're gonna look at uh, Peter. And I'm skimping through my Bible because I I had some stuff marked and laid out for us. So uh, we're gonna get into you know what the apostles would say to this question, you know, to to somebody who's running into these r- frustrations at their at their church and saying, "You know what what can I do to help in these situations? What should we be doing when we know somebody's in sin or somebody's boasting in sin, or maybe somebody's even just blaming sin on something like, Oh well, you know, I have these demons haunting me, and they're the reason and uh you know let's let's just uh let's dig into this issue and and see what the apostles would say about it and see what uh, what my, we might be able to actually do to help encourage one another. So oftentimes, grace teachers such as myself would would bear the blame of giving people a license to sin. And somehow we we get conf, uh, people confuse the message of the gospel that the apostles clearly taught, the freedom that we have in Christ that's clearly taught, and we'll mention some of those passages in scripture. And people mix that up with us saying and condoning sin and saying sin is is no big deal. It's been done away with. Don't even worry about it anymore. Don't even think about it. And, you know, that's not at all what the grace message would teach. It teaches something very differently. It's just a matter of how we address sin It is what makes us distinctive over something that uh, I would call legalism, which is predominant in most uh, establishments that you would go to. So you have two different ways of dealing with sin, let's just say, to start with. You have rules and regulations. And uh, human discipline that we could give to people, um, and we can uh, we can teach them to do better through rules, or we could teach them spiritually. So, which one did the apostles use? Let's take a look and see. Let's see what the apostles would have been trying to do. So, in First Corinthians. Uh, we have uh, an issue of sexual immorality going on in the church, and we're going to take a look at uh, what Paul did about it and the outcome that came from it, because I think this is an interesting example. And then we'll further go on to uh, some other passages for, for more understanding. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul writes, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. and a, And of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, Hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Now let's pause here. He's talking about their boasting. Their are boasting in his sin, okay? So just keep that in mind. Your boasting is not good. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So what does he mean by that? He says, get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. And so then he says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. So this is an interesting passage here. So this this wicked uh, brother, uh, or wicked man among them, rather, um, he's saying that he's calling himself a brother. He's not saying if he is or isn't. Uh, Paul doesn't have God's goggles and God vision to know who's actually fully saved and who isn't. So he has to... He has to make an assumption, and he seems to be wanting to make the assumption that this is a it could be a brother. If you see what ends up happening later, so he he wanted him to be handed over to Satan, so the sinful nature would be dealt with, and for some somehow he was figuring that this this guy would come to terms. If he was a believer, he would come to terms with what he had done through through this uh, for the, through this expelling process that they were going to not associate with him to shame him for his sin and but he but he makes it very clear you know not to to leave him there um for too long in another passage and um uh so he he didn't want this guy to just be canceled altogether he what what uh the context of the passage is that he wanted him to be expelled for a while and let him back in and let's see what happens later in uh, Second Corinthians, when he writes back, an interesting happening occurred, and we're going to find that this was a, a pretty neat thing that went on. Okay, so one more thing before we get into the Second Corinthians, I wanted to just mention a couple other things uh, that Paul had said uh, after that. He, he goes on to say, do you not know that the wicked will inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be see, de, de, be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So that's quite a list there, you know, and we point a finger at certain ones on this list often, but we don't realize that we're guilty of others. And so we, we can't go around pointing the finger and, and blaming any any one sin uh, as being worse than another. He combines all these things together. So think on that before you go pointing the finger at one being somehow the master of all sin. He's making sure that we realize that all these things are bad. But what does he then say? What does he say afterwards? He says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Washed, sanctified, justified, meaning that you've been cleansed, meaning that if that sexually immoral brother was, in fact, a brother and he was a believer, he's going to come back around. He's going he's gonna to come back around. And the best thing that Paul was trying to tell them to do was to shame him, make him wake up and realize that, that this was nothing to be boasting about. And in the passages that we head into later, we'll we'll prove this uh, this method, and support it, and it'll also support the reasoning behind having to do this. And so it gets interesting. Uh, But Paul also, you know, before we get too far, says everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so that is a spiritual. That's a spiritual teaching that he's following up all this stuff with. He's making clear that they know that they're free to do all things, but not to be mastered by these things. And they're boasting in it is what bothered him the most, it seems, when you write about that. Because what does it mean when we're boasting in sin? What does it mean? I mean, who would do that? Isn't that how we came to Jesus in the first place? It was a repentance it was a changing of mind that God gave us. He he enlightened us to realize how sinful we were. And so if we go around thinking that that sin is is somehow good and boastworthy again, there's something wrong inside. But what is wrong? Is it that we need more rules? Or is it that we need more spirit? And how would we how would how would the spirit teach? If it's more spirit, how would the spirit teach us to correct this? Well, let's see first what happens and unfolds in the story of, in in second Corinthians as it goes on. Okay. Second Corinthians, the story, the story continues. So um, it, it reads now, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. So Paul is saying that the punishment was sufficient, that they delivered to him. He said, Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him, so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. so you know what we what we see here is that uh, these these temptations uh, uh, and and these things that went on in their church this this was not from the spiritual realm, you know whether we you know he Paul's calling it Satan, you could call it uh, demons, you could call it the flesh and um, you know the world excuse me. The world uh and the flesh are a strong enough force alone when we realize that we were dead in our sin before we came to christ and uh so you know what we what we have here is you know the, we we can't be outwitted by these things we have to be spiritual and so it's amazing to me that you know he 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 hits so hard on sexual immorality so hard to the point he wanted this brother uh expelled you know, from them, but it was for his own good so that he would come back around. And what was it that he needed to come back around to? Was it to come back around to a set of rules and regulations that were presented? Was Paul trying to make rules and regulations and enforce those? Or was there something else going on um, according to scripture? And so we're going to dig into some other scriptures and see. What uh, what they say about why why sin would flourish in in a, or and still or even exist still or even be a problem still um, in a in a gathering of people in a gathering of believers even not even saying that this person is a false convert but saying this person's a Christian and they're battling sin and uh, so this is going to get interesting let's take a look here. Okay, so first, let's take a look at what Peter says, and this is this is such an interesting and fascinating verse, and such a spiritual verse on so many levels that, that when Peter says this, he says, for this reason, make every effort, and this is Second Peter, Second uh, Peter, Chapter uh, One, it's starting at verse five. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities, an increasing nature, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective and unproductive. So he's saying, make every effort to add to these things, the The faith that God has given to you and make every effort to add these things, which really is spiritual because the spirit can do this. He's what he's telling you and trying to teach you here is what the spirit teaches us so that, you know, when you're following the spirit or when you're following the flesh and we ought to want to follow the spirit. Should we not? Um, if we love God, if God's love has been uh, instilled into us, we should want to do those things. And so, but what he goes on to say afterwards is very interesting. He says, uh, "The knowledge of, of our Lord being unproductive and ineffective um, is is what you know if, will happen if we are not doing these things." And he says, "But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure." For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he he is not saying that you're going to earn your way in there. And he's not going to say he's not saying that you're, you know, the better you work, the better you are. He's saying that you are making sure you're calling and the sure your calling is of your salvation the better off you are. And all that means in in translated here is that you have remembered our cleansing. So if you've become nearsighted and blind and forgotten that you've been cleansed of your sins, that's an interesting thing because isn't that the gospel message? So, you know, we have this gospel that Christ forgives us fully and completely and that our sins have been washed away. We've been made perfect forever. And yet we have this example here that Peter is saying that there's people among us that you could call brothers in Christ that have forgotten their cleansing. So where does grace take uh, you know take effect here? Grace is everything in this situation because grace is what teaches us our cleansing. Grace is what reminds us of our cleansing. Grace is what keeps us in looking at our cleansing and not focusing on our sins all the time we're focused on our cleansing and why does that matter why would it matter so much you know that we understand our cleansing well i you know i think any grace teacher would agree that without understanding your cleansing and without really realizing how clean you are you cannot you you cannot you can't shine in the full glory that god is displaying in his saints your your light is not going to be very bright to the world it's not going to be you're not going to be very effective to others why because you don't understand god's love that he gave you it's all about love so you come to realize the answer is love that simple no not the love from the 60s and 70s where god's love man no, it's it's this, it's a different thing. So where does, you know, where does, uh, you know, does the moon itself, for example, on an earthly level, does the moon itself uh, produce light? Or is it the sun that produces the light? No, it's the sun that produces light. And in the Christian faith, what is the sun? It's the son of God. He produces the light and as believers, uh, it is said that he he chose us for his glory. And there's several passages that talk about God God electing us for his glory. He in the beginning of time, since before the world was even uh, b- before the world was even created, we were chosen. There was a there was a group of people chosen to be brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ and we were going to be part of the family we were going to be a kingdom from the beginning of the world this was planned and so you were part of this plan from the beginning to display his glory and so when the sun's glory is displayed in you you reflect it and our light shines coming from him just like the moon shines coming from the sun we show his glory but how do we show his glory In our lives to others by his love, not ours, by reflecting his love. And the only way that we can reflect his love properly is if we understand our cleansing. And so remember the cleansing. So how can we help somebody who's wrapped up in sin? We have to remind them of their cleansing. Maybe somehow along the way, they've they've somehow become unwired. Their repentance has gotten confusing to them in their own earthly minds. Even though they realize that they are in sin and God rescued them from that, they've forgotten the magnitude of of God's love that he lavished on them, that they didn't deserve, that they absolutely deserved the worst for what they had done, but God saved them. So how could you continue to do something that you know is just wicked? That's what the apostles are trying to say. Remember the love of God. Don't understand the love of God. Grow in the love of God. And these things will stop flourishing amongst you. And so we're going to look at Galatians and see what Paul says about it and see if he agrees with Peter. So let's take a look here. So now we're going to take a look at what Paul would have been teaching people, what Paul would have been teaching that they would have had to come back into after committing bad sins. If he had expelled somebody for some horrible sin, what was it that he would want to bring them back into uh, so that they could understand? We already know what Paul says about the law and what the law brings, and uh, the law increases sin. The law came to increase sin. So we know that rules and regulations weren't going to help them. Those don't help anybody. So he didn't have a list and a checklist of follow this list and, uh, you know, ask for forgiveness daily and here's your prescription and this will take care of it. No, he didn't say that. Let's see what he did say. He said, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want but if you are led by the spirit you are not under law so this is this this could be would be more of a reference to somebody who is not led by the spirit if if you were led by the law for instance you're in con- you're contrary with the spirit uh, just like Jesus used the analogy of the old wineskins, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Law and grace don't mix. The wineskin would burst and both would be ruined. So we have to follow the Spirit. What he's describing is that when you start going into the flesh, you start going into uh, uh, human effort in any way and start attributing human effort, you fight against the Spirit. And so what he what there's there's different reasons why somebody could forget God's love. And most of the time it's not because they were given a license to sin. Most of the time it's because they've fallen back under rules and regulations. Human effort has taken them and distracted them and taken them captive. So he says here, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, self-ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, Who live those who live like this. And um, and earlier he had said, but you are are no longer like this. So he makes the distinction. He's talking about unbelief here, and he's talking about the things that are produced by nature when you don't believe. This is natural man, and the things that he will do. And this is you know yet another reason why you could say uh, you need secular laws to to keep people in place because by nature humanity is going to do the wrong thing because they're selfish. And their and their desires are evil. And so that's, you know, that's where you start getting into secular authority and where they overstep their bounds would be when they tell you what to believe and tell you what you can and can't say or do or believe, or rather do, but say or believe, because Secular authority cannot make anybody believe anything, and so they have boundaries there. But we need to keep humanity in place because humanity is evil. So laws are good to regulate good and bad, good laws that maintain good and bad principles. Because if without fear of punishment, this is what the world looks like. And uh, would you want to live in that world? Uh, where suddenly murder is, it's totally okay, because that person kind of wanted to do it, and you got to let them be what they want to be. Of course not, that would be crazy. So anyways, side note, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So how did we crucify the sinful nature? Well, Christ really did it. He crucified us when we came to belief. He, God distributed us faith. He changed our minds and then our minds were changed and we were able to cooperate with him now in the spirit. Now we can do things in the spirit and now we can see his holy word and appreciate it. So we've now crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit, he says. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, why would he say that? Provoking and envying each other. What does he mean? Well, the Galatians were caught up in rules and regulations. They were getting caught up in a, a grace that was mixed with law. So he's saying, Do not let us become conceited, provoking and envying each other, as in falling back into rules and patting each other on the back for being good. So this is pretty interesting. He's rebuking bad, uh, uh, bad uh, actions and things like that. But he's also rebuking, patting each other on the back for our actions. So, hmm. This is definitely not a secular teaching. This isn't something that you could teach in school, and everybody's going to understand. This is a spiritual thing. So uh, we do not live by laws and regulations. We live by spirit, and spirit is the only thing that can change our lives if it's going to for the better, as is mentioned in Titus, that the spirit teaches us uprightness and goodness and uh, lists such things. So the fruits of the spirit come from where? The spirit. Jesus is the vine, we're just the branches. So anyways, he continues on and says, uh, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Now, this is spiritual again. This is spiritual. You know, if if he's saying take any of them, he can take pride in himself. He, He is meaning that you could take pride in who Christ has made you just to be clear on that, you know, it'd be easy to mix that up because clearly he's talking about self-alfred and pride being bad. So you think, oh, is that double talk? No. Taking pride in yourself would be your new self, the new creation is what he's referring to here. He says, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. So that's pretty cool. He's telling us to encourage those who are encouraging us. Help us along. You know, it's a very, uh, very tough world out there for the Christian, you know, uh, the 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 justice system on this earth, if you were to to, to look at it, uh, is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty crazy, because it seems like the evil people are having all the fun and the good people are just getting ridiculed. Uh, the good people, meaning people proclaiming God, the good and almighty God, they get ridiculed on this earth. But grace teaches us why that is because there's something afterward that's better and that all the wicked will be punished and that all the good will inherit the kingdom. So grace teaches us why the world is is fallen and, and we start to understand the fallenness of it. Kind of interesting. Side note again, sorry about that. Do not be deceived. Uh, he says, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature he will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And then he goes on to say, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. And that was pertaining to the law. So he's basically compelling you to follow law and rule. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So when you have an establishment that's teaching nothing but good works and good deeds and leaving Christ out of the mix, they're afraid of persecution and uh, they're they may be patting you on the back for all that good stuff you've been doing and all the rules you've been following but they're missing the point and they're afraid of persecution so we we see here as christians when you're proclaiming that god is all powerful god is all sovereign and that uh, god is the judge of all things you get yeah you don't really get a big round of applause from people but if that, that's, that's where bad doctrines come in. They teach a little flesh. They sprinkle a little flesh into there. But he says, uh, you know, he says that we will uh, we will reap what we sow. Um, so let's hone in on that a minute. Reaping what we sow. For, if you reap from the spirit, you reap eternal life. But if you reap from the flesh, you will reap destruction. And so you have on one hand, that could be pertaining to belief. Uh, you know, the flesh is obviously going to be destroyed. And then the spirit is going to have eternal life. But there's there's a parallel thing going on where you know, as saints, we can still sin, and you can be a fully forgiven, fully pure, and before the eyes of God, made right, and still be miserable. And and why would that be? Why in the world would that be? Because the it's it's the laws of the nature. If you follow the nature and you follow sin and you indulge in these things. You will, you will wear the scars from them. You're going to suffer. The world will pay back the world for what happens. And the, the, the world is, and, uh, you know, the, these things, they have payments. You know, I mentioned earlier that the evil will flourish, and they do in the worldly way, but they do not flourish in peace. They do not flourish in, in goodness, and they don't flourish in love. They have no love. The wicked have no love. They don't even know what love is. And so when you drift yourself away from love and into the world, you are no longer no longer focused and you're gonna get what you you're gonna reap what you sow. If you reap for the world, you're gonna reap destruction because everything in the world comes to destruction eventually. We don't live forever. And so you are going to suffer for your sins that you're committing on this earth by nature doesn't mean God's punishing you. He could use that to discipline and uh, but he is he is good and so he doesn't punish his children anymore. You're not under punishment but the world will punish you and you will suffer for sin. There's no doubt. think of all the repercussions of the sins. I mean there's you could go on and on. but if you're reaping for the spirit, you're reaping something eternally and you're reaping something peaceful. you're reaping love. You're reflecting God's glory the way that it was meant to be from the beginning. His light is shining through you. And the more that we realize that, the more his love, his love shines through us. Not the love that we create, not the love that we create by rules and follow by regulations. The love that comes from him and it comes from the heart and the heart gives us an understanding And so when we understand things from the heart and not from the fleshly intellect, we become more spiritual. And so this is all that they're laying out for us. So if you know somebody struggling in sin, don't keep trying to hammer them with rules and regulations. Bring them back to the gospel. Maybe they haven't even heard their cleansing. Maybe they don't even, there's people out there that don't even understand their cleansing in the first place, let alone forgetting it. You know, you have two different groups out there. Some have never even understood it in the first place. Some maybe understood it and forgot it and got caught up into rules and legalism. So let's help them. Let's preach grace. Let's get rid of the law and the works and the and the, all these assertions that the flesh can do things to please God and start preaching grace, start preaching the Holy Spirit the way it was made to be, the way the apostles taught it, and the way Jesus taught it, the way that Jesus called the apostles to teach it. Amen. I hope you guys have a good day out there. Don't forget, you know, we're on YouTube, Facebook. We have a podcast. Check out our podcast if you want to, you know, listen with your and you got your hands full. I liked, you know, I'd like listening to podcasts when I'm working because, you know, you can do it without having to look at something and it's a lot easier just to relax and listen. So we put that out there for people so that you can check it out. You don't have to be in front of the TV. So by all means, check it out. Uh, You can learn more about all of our resources by going on uh, wakinguptograce.com, and there's a link to that on our YouTube and Facebook pages. So don't forget to check it out, you know, and, uh, you know, I hope you guys keep coming back for some more grace and we all together just uh, glorify God in the way that uh, he wants his glory to shine in us because his glory is amazing and there is just nothing more amazing than his grace. Amen.